Hello, and welcome to Need to Know, your weekly investment podcast brought to you by the experts at Coots. Apologies, we're a little bit late this week, but that's because we wanted to wait for a big announcement that came out yesterday. And that is also going to tell you a little bit about our special guest. But I'm Sarah Muir. I'm joined as always by Alan Higgins. And in light of the SEC announcing their landmark decision to allow 11, uh, James Butterfield, our guest, will correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's 11 spot Bitcoin ETFs. Who better to have as a special guest, making a welcome return to Need to Know, uh, James Butterfield, Head of Research at CoinShares. Um, for those who don't know James, he's got more than 24 years of industry experience in portfolio management, investment banking and asset management. Following on from senior roles at both Coots and HSBC, James is now, as I said, Head of Research at CoinShares. So who better to get on to get his thoughts on Bitcoin, crypto, and I think Alan might have one or two questions about blockchain as well. Before we get to the three things, because even though we've got a guest, it's always the same rules. Um, I think, and we'll come to, James, we'll come to you in a minute, but Alan, we've got a couple of little bits and pieces we need to just tidy up first, haven't we? You... Uh, you bumped into one of our listeners at a conference recently, didn't you? And he had he, he took you to task. He did, yeah. Thank you, Tom at GMO. Um, he 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 buttonholed me and uh, quite rightly said, "I love your podcast. That was nice to hear." But mm-hmm. I have an issue with one of your facts, and I said, "Just one <laughs> of my facts," or should I say, "Our facts?" Because God, you know, when I said Apple had a P ratio of thirty, it could have been thirty-one, could have been twenty-nine, but actually. And he, and it's, he very much surprised me. He said, how can you say Gower's better than Cornwall? And then I think he sent you a spreadsheet. He did Sarah. send me a spreadsheet. He did. He'd done a lot of research into comparing the average temperature between Gower and Cornwall. I mean, for those that haven't maybe missed the last episode, I happened to comment that I bought myself a Christmas present of a wetsuit and a bodyboard, so I'm good to go now. But I'm bodyboarding, not surfing. And um, Alan had suggested that I should get myself up to the Gower Peninsula you said it was very, very good. And he took you to task because he said, actually, the average temperature in Cornwall is, I think it's between half and one and a half degrees warmer in yeah. Cornwall. So, but I, I've got a winter wetsuit, so I'm fine. I can deal with the one and exactly. a half degrees. Exactly. And I, 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 challenge, I challenge him and others. You, you'll, you'll, you'll have to go very far in the UK to find a better surfing beach than Rossini, mm. otherwise known as Langenich. They merge into one. But right. uh, yeah, Tom, you're going to have to come back to us with a better surfing beach than that. But anyway, um, there was that. Um, anything else, Sarah? Um, oh, well, yeah, we'd, we would sort of, we, I mean, we don't comment so much particularly on what's happening sort of week by week. But, you know, markets, obviously, you know, we had this great December 2023 close really strongly. What's happening in markets at the moment? They seem to be a little bit down. Is this all to do with Markets have got a little bit overexcited about, you know, five, six Fed rate cuts. I mean, what's priced in? So uh, we had a big discussion about what's priced in. And we said, you know, mathematically, we can do it for bonds and interest rates. Equities, it's one of our famous theories again. It's a judgment call. But just on bonds, we've basically gone from 150. So so in the United, it's all about the United States, but it's very similar in the UK. Um, 150 basis points of rate cuts. So call call it, you know, basically it's thick. Six lots of 25. Six rate cuts have gone to five. And so the markets are a bit less enthusiastic on the bond and to a certain extent the equity side. Um, look, as, as you said, Sarah, we had such a great December. Some kind of pullback was inevitable. And um, yeah, look, interestingly, um, it is the season for conferences. I'll, I'll just do it. I've just come back from the Henderson conference and their bond team 
are very bullish. And, and do you remember kind of one of our kind of Byron, the sadly departed Byron Wien surprises that inflation could have a one to one and a half percent handle? Yes. That's their core scenario. That's really? not a surprise for them. That's their core scenario. And they're pointing to others as well. I would say it's probably still a bit of an outlier. But uh, hold the faith. Rate cuts are coming. Hmm. Um, yeah. D- does it have to be six? Maybe not. But rate cuts are coming. Yeah. That will bring re- relief to the markets. Maybe a little bit later in the year rather than earlier. But anyway, we, you know, it's all about crypto, surely. Today. It is all about crypto. It is all about crypto. And welcome, James Butterfield. I think you've Hi. just been on TV, haven't you? We've yes, managed to sort of to slide, slide in a bit of time into your busy schedule today, all off the back of um, the announcement l- late last night. Uh, well, there was there was a kind of an early announcement that was not an official announcement, wasn't there, on, on X, formerly known as Twitter. But the SEC have announced that they are going to allow. Now, you're going to have to explain this because this is quite a technical thing. These sort of spot bitcoin etfs in the us so they've they've allowed these and they've got big names involved in this um i guess probably before we get your thoughts on the wider crypto market could you just in simple terms explain to us what this sec ruling or approval means absolutely i just want to make one fact uh alan and it's port town and a low tide (laughs) is actually the the best spot in cornwall so uh you know it's this it's not up for debate either um yeah back onto the etfs basically in the united states um the etfs have been they've been trying to launch an etf for with grayscale in particular for the last 10 years and have been continually pushed back and even uh, i'd say it's march 2023 the sec were incredibly aggressive towards crypto providers and exchanges and it looked very unlikely at that point. Um, uh, so Grayscale decided to take them to court. And three months ago, Grayscale won. And that really, I think, laid out the carpet for an ETF launch this year. And um, this is crucially a spot-based ETF, so a physically backed one. And it's a bit like if you're an investor owning uh, physically backed gold, you have a right to the actual physical asset. And it's exactly the same here with that. And that's what makes it, I think, quite di- different is that it ticks so many more due diligence boxes than other uh, Bitcoin ETFs. And uh, and it it lays open uh, roughly a $14 trillion worth of assets now have access to Bitcoin in a regulated environment. Okay. But I mean, you say it ticks some of those boxes, but surely it's still there's still question marks about investor protection and and market integrity or we because it's bitcoin it's kind of it's sort of slightly standalone from other cryptos i don't think now it's in an etf form it's any different it's the custody is institutional grade um very high very sophisticated custody and in fact um us at coinshares we a group of us moved from ETF securities where we were custodying gold, and it's a very very similar legal structure uh, to how you custody gold in, in, in the Bitcoin environment. Now it sounds a bit weird because this is an electronic, uh, uh, an intangible product, but you can mm. structure things legally in that way. So essentially, then this is going to open up, in theory, in in the US market, investing in Bitcoin in a perhaps a more retail investor friendly way, I guess. Yeah, but also for institutions, I think many institutions have been hamstrung in the US. They just, you know, when it comes to the question, can you buy a Bitcoin futures-based ETF or any futures-based ETF? Many say, no, they can't. 
And now suddenly that box is ticked for actually for many institutions they can buy, but also it allows many retail investors who might be on some sort of fund platform like Schwab, for instance, similar to um, Hargreaves Lambsdowne here in the UK. And, and they can, in their, in their SIP or pension equivalent, they can now buy Bitcoin. Okay. And I would just say at this point, obviously, we don't hold um, any cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin or whatever in, in Coots portfolios. And at the moment, there are no plans as yet. So this is a US thing. Is this, could this be something that UK investors could engage in? Or do we have to wait for a similar ruling in the UK? This is a very contentious subject. I think the UK, the FCA is kind of sandwiched now between the United States and Europe. So Europe have this uh, directive called the MICA directive, MICA directive, the markets in crypto assets directive. And that really lays out the, the rules as to how you can market and invest in crypto assets. And it's been functioning well for a year now. Um, in the United States, we've just had the SEC approved. Now, in the UK, there's already been a few people sort of making comments. The UK is really lagging in this this response. We have this thing called the, the crypto sprint in the UK, um, but it doesn't really seem to be going anywhere. And actually still not having, the UK used to have an ETF. It was technically what they call an ETN. Um, uh, but what's that was an, What's an ETN? Sorry to interrupt you, James. Yeah, an exchange what, traded How is that different to an ETF? Yeah, so in the ETP world, exchange product, exchange traded product world, you have ETFs, which you're probably most familiar with, exchange traded funds. They're what they call USITS compliant. It allows many different funds to, to to buy them. You also have ETCs there, sort of exchange traded commodities, which actually the European based Bitcoin ETCs, well, they are ETCs, and then you have ETNs, which are kind of an old style product, which aren't what they call bankruptcy remote. So if the issuer went bust actually you might lose those assets along, along with it. But in an ETF structure, an ETC structure, like all new Bitcoin uh, ETPs are, they have this bankruptcy remote feature of them. And that's obviously very important. Okay, just, just explain what you mean by that bankruptcy remote. So I'm going to ask you lots of very basic questions because I just want to make sure that we're not getting too technical sure. here. Um, yeah, it just basically means, so you have every, yeah, there are 11 issuers in the United States, for instance, if you buy one of those ETFs with that issuer, if that issuer fails, if it goes bust, uh, you have a claim on the underlying assets. In something that isn't bankruptcy remote, you don't. Um, and, and, you know, this goes across all, you know, I remember my days at Coots uh, and speaking to the fund due diligence team. This is one incredibly important box to tick, I think, um, in, in the fund world. And, you know, Bitcoin's no different. Okay. So, we, I mean, obviously we're talking very much about Bitcoin because it's Bitcoin that's at the heart of this ruling. Do we see other cryptos being included in this further down the line? Or is it is it really basically saying that Bitcoin is the only one that comes close to meeting this criteria? Well, the SEC in particular has been quite clear. Um, in everything they've talked about in terms of the things that have gone wrong over the last few years, which has been many, um, actually Bitcoin and Ethereum have been they've been very quiet about. They're not technically deemed to be securities, and I don't think they are likely to be. But many of these, what they call altcoins, that's everything other than probably Ethereum and Bitcoin, um, could be deemed to be securities. Now, that, that obviously comes under security laws and it becomes a lot more complicated. But you know, looking forwards, what is next? Um, I would say Ethereum is highly likely, and Ethereum prices since the, the announcement yesterday have rallied hard much more than Bitcoin in, in that respect. So there is a lot more excitement now. And I think it will happen. Sorry, Alan, you want to say something? No, no, I was just going to say, uh, probably worth clarifying. 
is that, correct me if I'm wrong, so UK and European investors or investors in the rest of the world can potentially buy this Bitcoin ETF in the States, right? But the taxation repercussions are not great. And that's why typically when it comes to ETFs, they tend to be so-called USITS ETFs, call them European ETFs, which they're not just European, but simplifying. That's correct, isn't it, James? Uh, from a, they're not well, you know. I mean, would you, as a UK investor, buy a, a US-based ETF? If that is that what you're asking? Well, so technically, um, let's put even Bitcoin to one side. Um, an S and P 500 index tracker. Um, we have there's two versions, right? There's a version here in 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 USITS world, basically, typically yeah. Ireland, and there's a version, of course, in the states. Now, no European investor and UK investor buys a version in the states. Because the taxation implications are, and I'm no taxation expert, but the, there's tax, there's taxation implications. So presumably it's the same. But you could, I could, I could today buy an S and P 500 tracker in listed in the states. But my suspicion is, and this is not tax advice, that the gains will be taxed as income, and that's a similar issue for any investor. Until we get a usage version, the tax—I guess what I'm saying—the taxation regime is not ideal. Is that right, right, James? Yeah, I think I think that's right for UK investors. You know, um, if you can buy them, then yeah, you have. They will be eligible to for capital gains. It obviously depends where you're domiciled. If you're if you're in Germany, for instance, if you hold a physically backed asset like Bitcoin or gold in an ETF form, actually you escape um, uh, the capital gains tax. So it does vary from one jurisdiction for the other. Most of them are usage eligible now uh in europe in other words so they are domiciled uh, from a fund perspective in ireland or luxembourg and for the most part it makes them uses eligible not uses compliant but it means they can go into uses funds okay i guess one question from me because i always think of sort of cryptos perhaps less so bitcoin but they have this kind of aura about them of being outside of the sort of the, the sort of normal traditional world of, of finance and the people that get engaged with cryptos perhaps are, how do they feel about this being part of a sort of established ETF? Does that kind of make it seem less rebellious, less sort of, um, less of a kind of unusual kind of <coughs> radical thing to do? Is it going to get a bit too mainstream? You mean poacher turned gamekeeper sort <laughs> exactly. of thing? Um, yeah, I, I think there is polarization in the industry you, you just have to sort of flick through twitter and you see some people saying this goes completely against the ethos of bitcoin it was supposed to be anti-establishment and now we've got the the establishment just taking over i don't think there are you still have um the option of buying uh, a physically backed bit of bitcoin um just straight off in a ledger device so that's a usb stick you know you can only you can self-custody bitcoin if you want um but this is really just opening up the access for people who want to buy it in a regulated structure. You know, if you're going to buy in a regulated structure, you've got to adhere to the rules of those those regulated entities, right? And mm -hmm. so I think it's all, all it does. I I just think it helps further democratize Bitcoin. These ETFs it allows access to so many people who actually find it incredibly technically challenging to to own Bitcoin. I think that's a positive thing. Okay. I mean, we talked about how the establishment, this is a kind of voice of endorsement, but it's not everybody in the establishment is endorsing this, are they? Jamie Dimon's not a great fan. He's, he's famous for not being a big fan of Bitcoin, isn't he, Alan? He is. Do you have his exact quote? I mean, it's something on the lines, he'd banish it, right? 
Well, he uh, said if, if he, he was could, a government, if he was a yeah, government, he would ban yeah. Bitcoin and basically says yeah. it doesn't have a value. Thoughts on that, James? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I kind of hesitant to say this, but maybe it's a generational thing. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'll give you an example. My son, he managed to spend $200 on a skin in a computer game. So that's the clothing. And um, and I was obviously furious on my on my credit card. Um, a year later, he managed to sell those skins for four hundred dollars. Now this is just vapor. It's like nothing. It's not. It's not a tangible thing. And yet he saw value in it. And clearly someone else did later down the line, and he doubled his money. My son doesn't doesn't distinguish between digital assets in the digital world compared to the real world. Really, there's no difference to him. And, That's interesting. And I think. So he sees value in it. But do you know what? It's like gold in many respects. Bitcoin will always polarize opinion. There'll always be these questions mm. about does it have any sort of value? And I think it's this, you can you can start asking these questions about many things in the world. A good example is artwork. You know, I'm, I'm not going to pay $40 million for Picasso, but clearly some people will. And I think Bitcoin sits in that kind of contentious category too. Now, some people then say, okay, well, it doesn't have any intrinsic value. Um, I do think the CFA Institute has hijacked the word intrinsic value. If you start to to look at what intrinsic value means, you see actually it's derived from Greek philosophers and it's to give someone happiness. Um, so it's quite a vague term, really. Um, what value is, I think, is hugely subjective. And I'm sure many of the listeners who are Coots clients, I'm hoping might agree with me, given that they probably have a broad set of different assets in very different asset classes. Yeah, okay, James. that's a fair can I jump in there and, and say, do you not accept that? Okay, um, so gold is a belief system. I agree with that. Uh, thousands of years proven belief system outside of jewelry. Um, it, it's it's a huge market. And Bitcoin, although it's speculative, could be a digital belief system. But do you believe that one of the great ironies is that, especially from emerging markets, people from emerging markets, institutions, emerging markets, is that where currencies have depreciated away, the Lebanese pound down 90%, Nigeria, even Turkey. One of the great ironies is that people are attracted to Bitcoin because they have a dollar asset because it's denominated in dollars. So it's, it's become a store of value in dollars, albeit a volatile store of value. Is, is that why maybe it is working with great irony yeah. that people are getting a dollar asset here? So Turkey has some of the highest ownership. I think 7 or 8% of the population owns some Bitcoin. And definitely, I think Bitcoin, you know, it's very easy in the developed world, say in the UK, except for when Liz Truss makes some interesting statements about unfunded tax cuts, um, that the currencies feel fairly stable in, in, in the developed world. And actually, relatively, Bitcoin doesn't look that attractive. But you... You speak to someone in Turkey, that's a very different story, Argentina or Venezuela. And it's these kind of countries where you see huge ownership. I mean, the banking system's collapsing in Lebanon. And what we're yeah. finding is it's not just Bitcoin ownership, it's blockchain technology being used. And it's an organic thing. Um, and it's, you know, people are finding that they can download an app and just trade with each easily. And actually what we're finding is stable coins. So that's the, uh, a cryptocurrency that's one for one the dollar, for instance, or one for one the euro, those they are being traded a lot. And now it kind of makes sense. It's you know it's it's going to be dollars because a lot of international trade is in dollars. But this is really helping people. It helps. There's 1.7 billion people around the world that don't have a bank account. Actually, Bitcoin can you can just open up a, a create a Bitcoin bank account theoretically a wallet. 
in, in minutes. It allows those unbanked people, as long as they have an internet connection, um, a bank account, an international one for the first time ever. A question you mentioned yeah. state. I was going to say, you mentioned stablecoin there, James. How is that different then to Bitcoin? I mean, is, is it backed by reserve assets? And that's my understanding. Yeah, so, so you do have to be, uh, I think, careful about which stablecoin issues you use. But there's quite a few out there. Circle coins, one of them, Tether's another. Um, they're the, the largest. And they are literally just one for one, the dollar. And what's backing them is that they're, they're like money market funds. Um, Circle, for instance, coin is 100% US treasuries. Um, I think Tether has a slightly eclectic sort of background and um, uh, auditing process, but um, certainly its its assets are predominantly backed by U.S. Treasuries and have been tested many times in, in sig significant li liquidation events during various crises over the last year. Tether have very easily managed to deliver on. Okay, yeah, all right then. Now I'm, I'm I'm bringing us back to our three topics because it was, we've been talking a lot about about the sort of the SEC ruling in Bitcoin, but you did mention blockchain. Obviously, that's at the heart of this. And I know that Alan had a, a few questions for you about blockchain because I think there's there's I think a lot of people perhaps saw blockchain in itself good and maybe perhaps critical of crypto, but I think there've been a number of high profile failures of blockchain, haven't there? Alan, you had some thoughts on this. Yeah. So ironically, look, as you said at the start, Sarah, I mean, at Coots is a broad church, some complete believers in this space, the whole space, some complete disbelievers like uh, Jamie Dimon, JP Morgan. I've come round to the idea that Bitcoin could be a store of value, albeit speculative, only Bitcoin, as, as we know, not advice because of what I've seen from emerging markets. However, of course, Bitcoin is traded on a blockchain. This blockchain technology, and I, this is the challenge to James, so, which affects obviously all the other currencies in particular, um, really looks overrated. So the most famous, of course, is the Australian Stock Exchange had to write off 170 million US dollars, 250 Aussie. And what do they say? Blockchain. They tried to basically uh, trade equities on their equities on the blockchain. Will not meet standards. There's an absence of rigor, not appropriate design. Uh, so there's that. And then second one, Jane, more recently, Math, help me out here, Sarah, you're better at Math. It seemed like a good idea. Put all the containers on the blockchain, um, completely pulled out of it. And, and, um, and then finally, what we mentioned before, James, there was a great JP Morgan piece of research, which is available to everyone. It's called um, the Maltese Falcoin, um, a play on the famous film. Uh, and where Michael Sembalas, the head of research there, um, went to the JP Morgan teams and basically said, you know, what do you think? And they said, well, we use a JP Morgan co coin for repo transactions and we've done a fair bit. Yeah, and basically no big deal, you know. So, James, defend blockchain or write it off yeah. and be a Bitcoin maximalist. All right. So um, I think... The first thing is just very basic level Bitcoin. It's the first thing on the internet you can't copy and paste. That is, I, I love it because it's super simple. But when you think about it, it's actually very powerful. And the Winklevoss twins said, it, it, we prefer to put our money and faith in a mathematical framework free of human error and politics. And just take a little bit of time to digest it. I think it's, that's very important. And it genuinely is this computer science breakthrough um, that has solved what they call this Byzantine generals problem. Uh, and the double spend problem in, in currencies. Um, 
Uh, that I think that whole idea of the blockchain technology is very seductive. And, and as a consequence, people all around the world have tried to replicate that in some way successfully. I think although NFT prices, have been, there's huge hype in that area, it's quite an apt place where NFTs, that's digital artwork, it is this kind of digital provenance and you, you, it's immutable. And I really like that. But then there are others, this classic human nature. They think, oh, well, I like this blockchain technology. Let's just do this, get get it to do that. And in Australia's, uh, the stock exchange there, the example, actually, it's incredibly technically challenging to do. Um, don't forget, you know, you if you are to create sort of a blockchain-based exchange, uh, you will also have to create a wallet infrastructure and encourage people, uh, you know, who trade on that exchange to use that wallet infrastructure. That's technically incredibly challenging. I mean, it's a bit like a... Um, a central bank digital currency. So the UK, the Bank of England's thinking about this. Um, you would have to ask banks to set up crypto wallet infrastructure. And I know how incredibly challenging it is for banks to implement any new technology. Um, and I think it failed for that reason. I mean, I think it was well-intentioned and a nice idea, but I think it's got to have a genuinely good reason. And actually, I think most of the success stories so far in crypto have been where they've been more organically driven and more where there's a need for it rather than someone just saying, oh, I like the idea. Let's 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 go ahead and do it. So it is overrated, that, sorry, Sarah. So it is overrated, the technology. Yeah, I, I think you're right. In, in some areas, it absolutely is. You know, there's 15,000 different sort of technologies or projects, you know, cryptocurrencies that are that are, are using uh, distributed ledger or blockchain technology in some way. Um, and a lot of those altcoins, what we'd call them, are just rubbish. Um, and it, but sadly, it might take some time for people to realize that. So they're not not all blockchains are the same. Then is that what we're saying? Some are better than others. Uh, yes. Uh, well, this is the most perverse thing about this. There are some interesting blockchains out there which are technically brilliant, but they're not particularly successful. So um, you have slightly a network effect. You, actually, there might be a social, you know, if you do the sort of Facebook uh, uh, a sort of example here, there might be a, um, a social networking app out there that's just way better than Facebook. But the thing about Facebook is it has the market. It has a massive market share. It has those network effects. So people use it for that reason. It might have re be really dysfunctional. I think the same thing, you know, people criticize Bitcoin and say, well, it doesn't do this, it doesn't do that, it doesn't transact very fast. Um, but it has a massive market share and to knock it off its perch is incredibly difficult. You could have some fantastic new blockchain technology and there are some really interesting ones. They're just not gaining any ground. Um, and mm. so it's not necessarily about fundamentally what is better than something else. It's about how big the network is. And Ethereum and, and um, Bitcoin have those large networks. James, that's a really interesting point because that's analogous to equities, which we'll come to on the end, because it's like saying Bitcoin has the brand. You know, it's like a brand effect, like great companies have a brand. Now, something that will please you. Did you see the Saturday FT? I don't know if you did as well, Sarah. Mm. Stuart Kirk does a great column. It's called Skin in the Game, where he shows his portfolio every week. Yes, I saw that. He's going to buy Bitcoin. And, you know, and he makes um, similar arguments. He's not worried about intrinsic value because, as he points out, um, well, there's, he, he doesn't mention gold, but we know gold is way above intrinsic value. But he goes into into companies, and uh, yeah, he's going to put some Bitcoin in the, in his portfolio. And I think credit to Stuart. That's um, 
that's very very brave of you to put that in public and um he, he points out which i'm sure you know the supply he likes the supply curve 19.6 million um uh, of the maximum bitcoins are already already uh, out of 21 already circulated circulating yeah i mean i think so i've written a, a piece of research on this point uh three years ago actually called a little bitcoin goes a long way and it was trying to explore how Bitcoin fits within the asset class world, how it operates within the economic cycle. It's very closely related to monetary policy, by the way. And that makes sense. It is this store of value that's competing with other stores of value. So when rates rise, treasuries look more attractive, Bitcoin less so. When rates back off, Bitcoin tends to look more attractive. But in that article, I sort of talk about those points and then how it might work in a portfolio and I'm hoping one day Coots might decide to add it. You know, I, I think a lot of the concerns have been around it's high, highly volatile. That's true. It is. It, um, it's, it's dropped a lot, though. It has around 40% annualized vol now, and the NASDAQ's about 25%, so not too far off that. Um, but, you know, adding, if you looked at sort of Bitcoin and added it to a portfolio in 2015, it's endured two massive cycle of bear markets at that point. But then it would have doubled your annualized returns. And when you risk adjust it, i.e., uh, take into account the volatility of the asset, you also more than double your sharp ratio. So that's the risk adjusted returns. So, and the reason why I said a little Bitcoin is you don't need much Bitcoin for it, for it to have a really positive impact on your portfolio. Okay. In, in the end, is it, you mean, you talked about it being a generational thing. Do we need to sort of get the, the, the Jamie Diamonds of the world need to sort of retire and then your people like your son that are making a hundred percent profit on buying skins, whatever that is, on on games. Do we need that that those people to come through, and then it will just become the norm? There is an element of that, um, but I also I just think it needs to be people who are open minded. I mean, certainly what I've what I've learned in investments is being. Uh, open-minded, admitting when you might have got things wrong in the past are quite important things, uh, features of being an investor. Um, and actually, some of the Ray Dalio, Ray Dalio is a really good example where um, if you look at his kind of thoughts about Bitcoin on Twitter going back sort of three years, he was rubbishing it uh, three years ago. And slowly over time, as he's learned more and more about it, he's changed his mind. And I think that's generally what happens. And I, so what I'm saying is to people, try and be open-minded, explore it, understand it a bit better. And, and I think over time you will become understand, you know, decide to invest ultimately. I think that's what we're seeing with many of our clients. I should just say Ray Dalio's probably one of the biggest hedge fund managers out there uh, for the firm Bridgewater and written a couple of interesting books, including principles for those who wonder who he might be. I guess we better move on. Are we ready to go to my topic? We have, uh, yes. It's over to you, Alan. Yeah, so James, because James, you used to be head of equity research here uh, and a very good head of equity research. So you. now you're in the crypto space. But, I mean, so what do you think of equity investing now? And would your approach be any different having kind of worked in the crypto space. To be fair, you also worked in the general ETF space for a while. But I'm really interested. Has it affected how you think about allocating to equities? I, I think in my tenure at Coots, I learned that um, thematics are a great way to invest. You know, sort of the, the shift into use of robotics and automation 
is a good example. And there are lots of different themes like generational changes in places like China, lots of different themes. And I've always, they've appealed to me, I think. Um, and and so when cryptocurrencies came along and Bitcoin in and Ethereum in particular, I, I felt they that this is this new theme that it has really got legs to it and is really interesting. So actually I don't really feel my sort of mentality around investing has changed at all. I, I actually I do feel actually my appetite for risk as I get older has increased, not decreased perversely. Um I think I've realized that um, you know, in some respects, um uh like Warren Buffett said, diversification is is you know a way of paying apologetics to um stupidity in some respects you know if you well, look at particularly coots clients coots clients right i know you might hate some but um coots clients they have had 100 percent um concentration in one thing their company probably and they slowly some, increased some of them some of them are entrepreneurs yeah. Yeah, some of them um, have. We have a uh, a broad range here, yeah, of clients. I, here. I, d I definitely think you know, if I was to be a fund manager again today, it would be a mix of different themes, and cryptocurrencies would would be one of those. Okay, so let's put you to the test, a bit like Stuart Kirk skinning skinning the game. What's your ratio approximately of crypto versus equities in terms of James Butterfield's personal holdings? Sixty percent crypto, and forty percent equities. Forty percent. Uh, ten percent fixed income, not much. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So very much. So some equities, but very much. Okay. Fair enough. So yeah. So being a thematic investor, I I get that. But uh, the challenge to that, James, as you know, you you mentioned robotics. Often, these thematic investments become very correlated simply with technology investing. You might as well have bought the Nasdaq or a technology fund. So it's at the end of the day. It, it is almost getting sectors right. but So I'm pleased to, to hear you do stand by global equities, but because here at Coots, we, we, we do think that's the, the principle, not for everyone, the principal way of, of generating wealth. But we, we, we applaud your, um, your aggression on crypto. We'll see what Stuart Kirk goes to on, on equities. I, I forgot to mention, Alan, when we were talking about crypto before, one, a big equity ball who we've talked about lots and is very yes. respected, Tom Lee. He's come out as a bit of a crypto bull, bull hasn't he? Or certainly yeah. a Bitcoin bull. Exactly, exactly. So this goes back, James, uh, to last year when, at the start of last year, we could barely find a bull, start and, and until really the second half of the year, we could barely find a bull of equities. We could barely find any bull of equities. One guy stood out, uh, Tom Lee, he, he's... He was head of uh, equity research at JP Morgan. He's a bit under the radar here in Europe because he's very much US focused, but very well known name. And I was, wow, I was surprised that he came on, I think either yesterday or the day before on CNBC and basically put huge forecasts for Bitcoin, like 150,000. And the CNBC presenters were like, wow, because of your reputation, because you call equities so well, um, this needs to be taken seriously. I, I Even wonder, more bullish than you, James. I, I wonder if he. Um, there's this big problem, I think, for investors at the moment. The 60 40 portfolio, 60% equities, 40% bonds, is hugely correlated. Um, you know, if you take the SP 500 and the 10 year treasuries, they have a 40% correlation at the moment. That's almost a record. Um, this is a massive problem for fund managers who are trying to diverse, stay diversified. 
And I, I do think there is this hunt at the moment for alternative assets that generally diversify. And Bitcoin really, I think, ticks that box. It is, you know, if you over the last five years, Bitcoin would have diversified if you regularly balanced it by about 7%, whereas um, something like gold would have only um, diversified by about 0.5%. So I, I wonder if that's what, he, you know, his mentality is. He needs to step away from that kind of classic 60, 40 and add something, you know, a little bit of magic to his portfolio to, to help it perform. I feel like I need to step in here with a little bit of balance. I mean, it, Bitcoin and why the wider crypto world, it's still highly volatile, isn't it? I mean, even this SEC approval is not going to change that, is it, dramatically? Maybe a little bit? Uh, it's volatility five, six years ago was 250% on an annualized basis. To put that in perspective, the, the FTSE 100 has around a 16 to 20% annualized volatility. So, so it's huge. Uh, but it is trending down. And I think as it establishes itself more as a store of value, so its volatility will continue to decline. And there's actually been times like this, this time last year, its volatility was 18%. Um, so it's had times where it's really testing kind of new lows in, from a volatility perspective. So it, it don't forget, it's just a nascent technology, um, uh, still very much in the emerging phases. And so it's kind of expected for it to be volatile as people's understanding of it varies so much. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much, James and Alan. We just about kind of got that into three things we need to know. Um, as, as I said at the at the top of the podcast, we don't hold cryptos in Coots portfolios. It's not something we're planning to do at the moment, um, but it, it was an interesting discussion. We thought we, it was something we really wanted to talk about because of this sort of landmark SEC ruling. A reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are not intended to constitute investment advice, are accurate at the time of recording and are subject to change. As I said, thank you very much, Alan and James, for joining us fresh off the back of coming, of being on TV. We'll be back next week when we've got Monique Wong on and she's going to be joining us to talk us through the soon to be published Coots 2024 outlook. I believe that's out um, in, the, in the next week. Um, but until then, bye for now.